0: Leaning Toward Wisdom, doing hard things well. (music) Greetings and welcome inside the L Studio 4.0. It's the second recording from 4.0, at least for Leaning Toward Wisdom. That's this podcast, leaning toward wisdom.com is the website. My name is Randy Kentra. I'm your host here. I'll apologize in advance if you're watching the video for the reflection and the glare in my glasses. <laughs> I've got another pair of glasses that don't reflect and I don't know why the ones that I'm wearing right now, they, they block blue light. You would think that they would be less reflective, but they're not. Hey, it's the hazards of being old. I can't see. I can't see. I can't see up close without these things. So there's that. Let's talk about doing hard things well. I'm very happy that you clicked play, and hopefully by the end of this episode, if not sooner, you'll be glad you did too. I had written this phrase down a long, long time ago, as is the case with many, many episodes. And then I got to thinking about a couple of Bible verses. Galatians 6, 7 through 9, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth unto his own flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth unto the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. I suspect there are quite a few people that really don't quite understand that verse especially the part about being deceived and God's not mocked. And what does that mean? And the real simple explanation is we deceive ourselves constantly because we tend to think we can reap where we haven't sown. That is, we we can be wealthy, but we don't have to work that hard for it. We can live a good life, but we don't have to make wise choices. No, no, we, we, we pretty much reap what we sow because we are responsible for the outcomes of our life. I was reminded of this phrase, doing hard things well, at the conclusion of a week or so ago, we had the NFL championship games, not the Super Bowl but the AFC and the NFC championship games. And I don't remember which team or which coach, but at the end of one of those games, one of the winning coaches made some remark about his team's ability to do the hard things or the difficult things and to do those things better than the other team doing hard things well. And so I began to ruminate about this. Again, I remembered writing this down. I don't remember when I did it. And I I just started thinking about it and jotting a few notes down. And I already had a, a number of notes down. And I thought, well, I've done this before. And I looked. I looked all through the archives at Leaning Toward Wisdom, and I, I haven't. And then I felt really stupid because I thought, well, this is one of the better things. This is This is clearly one of the better topics, I think. To do hard things well. Now, even before the interview with this coach, I had been thinking about just this all the internal struggles that we all have. And we we all, well, I say that we all have. If we're trying to live a good life, if we are leaning toward wisdom, we absolutely have them. Because, well, we'll call it a dark side. You have a dark side. I don't mean that it's necessarily evil and sinister. Um, well, it could be evil. It doesn't necessarily have to be sinister. I can put it in a word, and the word is selfish. We all have a selfish side. We all have a side of ourselves where we just want what we want. We really don't care about anybody else or how it affects anybody else or what anybody else wants. We want what we want. And it's not lost on me that culture has absolutely pushed us this way. You want to be happy, right? Oh, well, come on. You deserve to be happy. Do what you want, forget everybody else. Doesn't matter. You don't want to please everybody else. You want to please yourself. An awful lot of stuff like that can sound wise, but it's just colossally foolish and destructive. So I was thinking about just this internal battle that we we have to do if we're going to live a good life. If we're going to get up every day committed to trying to be a, a better person than we were yesterday, then we're necessarily going to have to put in some work to suppress what we may most want to do. We're going to have to kind of stem the tide of our own selfishness. Anybody can do easy. Easy is easy. It requires some grit and some resolve and some strength and determination and courage to do the difficult thing. And in that context of this inner battle, that difficult thing being to avoid giving in to our selfishness, I mean, that takes some doing. I would argue that To do hard things well requires some skill and talent coupled with that solid determination and grit. And I would also put forth, we have to learn these things. We have to figure these things out. I don't know that anybody can just instinctively, right out of the gate, just do hard things well. We've got to put in the work. We've got to figure it out. We have to practice doing that and over and over and over again and get better at it. At the end of the day, you and I both know the problem. Yeah, the problem's us. You are the problem. I am the problem in my own life. We just too frequently are not willing to battle ourselves We're not willing to battle our own selfishness. We're not willing to battle our own negativity. We're not willing to battle our own constraints. So feelings, I don't know why, but in the last few weeks have been an awful lot of conversations that I've been having about emotions and and people feeling a certain way and wondering if those things our evidence, meaning do those things, where do where do our emotions and our feelings involve the truth? Or maybe a better word would be reality. And I think figuring out what's real and figuring out what isn't real is hard. It's hard. It's hard work. It's, it's worth doing, but it's hard work to figure out what's real and what isn't because we can believe something to be true. And I guess it could be argued that, well, then that becomes true for you, even if it's a delusion. I'm not sure about that. Now, tap the brakes because I am not at all referring to any mental health issues. And there are countless people who do suffer some mental health challenges. And let me be really strong up front and tell you, If you do, or if you even suspect you do, or if people have that love you and care about you have have wondered if you do, then you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the people that care about you and the people that you care about to seek professional help and counsel. I am not that. I'm anything but that. But figuring out what's real and what isn't can be very difficult work when it comes to just our viewpoint and how we see the world and how we see ourselves fitting in the world. I remember a number of years ago running into a felon. His lifelong ambition had been to earn a certain amount of money, and he, he threw out this number, and it, it didn't seem a particularly high amount of money to me at the time. And I asked him Why? And he said that the reason that that amount of money seemed to him to be the barometer for wild success is because he did not know anybody in his family who had ever earned that amount of money annually. And he felt like if he could achieve that number, a number that no predecessor in his family had ever achieved, then he he would be a success. Now, is that right? Because in my mind that, and listen, do not get me wrong. I I I'm not a wealthy person. I'm rich. I'm rich in a whole lot of ways, but I would not describe myself as some. I'm certainly not some financially independently wealthy guy. But the number that he he threw out there was just. I mean, it it was a number that, in my estimation, as a person of modest means, it was a really really modest, if not below modest, number. But in his head and in his perspective and in his family of income earners, it it was the biggest number that he could possibly fathom because nobody had made that before. Those feelings and that belief does not equal evidence, clearly. Now, you can see that and I could see that, but he couldn't. Willpower. I've been reading quite a lot recently about grit and determination and and willpower. And an awful lot of current writers seem to, have they seen, in my opinion, they seem to discount willpower, especially when it comes to bad behavior, especially when it comes to bad choices. It seems to me that an awful lot of bad choices and bad behavior gets excused by people believing that we're putting too much emphasis on willpower when, I mean, come on, Otis Campbell in Mayberry was the town drunk. That was in the 60s. Today, Otis Campbell's not the town drunk. Otis Campbell has a disease. I'm not arguing that alcoholism is not a disease, but I am arguing that the... Willingness to take that first drink. That's a choice. That's a choice. Now how your body reacts to that drink. True enough. Uh, very well may be some addiction issues there, but nothing's forcing Otis Campbell to take the drink. Nothing's forcing him to go visit the moonshiners that are selling the alcohol. He's making that choice. And so it. It seems to me a horrible disservice to us as human beings to discount our ability to make a choice and our ability to make a wiser choice, our ability to discount not only our free will, but to discount our willpower and that, well, I'm just powerless to do. I, is that right? Are you, how powerless are you? I don't think that we should underestimate our willpower. Now, I'm not saying that we should overestimate it either uh, because I think there is a major component in our work when it comes to willpower. But I can't just will. I can't will things into existence. There's that whole school of thought that kind of ladling toward that. Basically, you are your own God. You can make anything that you want happen, happen. You can manifest all kinds of things. Um, tap the brakes on that too. All of that leads me to begin to think about the people that are in our life. I've talked about this quite a lot. The people that we surround ourselves with matters. One of the compelling reasons to begin this podcast a long, long time ago was to just be a voice of influence for some high school kids that happened to be living in my house at the time. Yeah, they were my own kids. The environment that we put ourselves in, and I completely understand that there are children, minor children, who have no control over their home environment. And I'm sad about these situations, but let's focus the conversation on we adults because we are in complete control of our environment. We are in complete control of who we allow in and out of our lives who we surround ourselves with, and we can navigate in our own world to put ourselves in either good situations or bad or poor situations. It's up to us. We can choose who we allow to influence our life, and we can choose whom to influence. In short, we can guard our environment if we choose to not saying everybody chooses to, but we can, we have the ability. I'm not saying that we can determine all the circumstances of our life. We can't, but we can guard our environment. Beliefs. Beliefs become reality. I talked about the fellow who thought that this certain amount of money, he believed that that certain amount of money would be a barometer for his success. Is that real? Or is that a delusion? Well, I could argue in his in his world, it was real. That was real to him. I don't know if he ever achieved that amount of money or not. But I knew in talking to him that day that if he did achieve that amount of money, he would find out, okay, well, that's not what it's cracked up to be. He would find out Not that's not reality. He believed it. But maybe only by earning that amount of money and being proven untrue would he realize that it was untrue. I don't know. I did lean in rather heavily in my late 20s into evidence-based living. Uh, I would argue evidence-based leadership at the time. I had been leaning into evidence-based living for a good long while. I would argue it's one reason I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian not because of what the world calls blind faith. Well, you just you just swallow this hook, line, and sinker. I know there's compelling evidence. Compelling evidence. The book itself, the Bible itself, talks about nature, and I mean, we just look around. Just look at the orderliness of the human body. Look at the orderliness of the universe. Look at the orderliness of nature. Look at the orderliness of the sky. And It's compelling proof and evidence. There's a supreme being that architected this. This this wasn't just random chance. This, This level of orderliness does not emanate from chaos. You can't find a single example in all of humanity, in all of the physical world, where chaos formed this precise orderliness that is so minute and so precise. There had to be a divine architect. And the Bible reveals who that architect is. So evidence-based living compels me, may not compel you, but it compels me uh, to be a Christian. When you think about doing hard things and you think about doing hard things well, I also think about considering what's possible some people call it possibility thinking there are a lot of things that as a young kid you know i i mean how do you know if it's possible you you don't know it's possible until you try and then if you try and you learn and you try and you figure it out you realize okay well that was possible i wasn't sure that was possible but i've now proven to myself that it is possible It's this whole figuring it out thing that you hear me talk about a lot because I am quite fixated on the whole notion of us figuring it out. Because I also know that we are often restricted by our false notions. We're restricted by the things that we may not think we can figure out or things that we may think that's not even possible for me to figure that out. I'm not talking about me understanding astrophysics. That ain't happening, <laughs> but I am talking about people who want to feel sorry for themselves or they want to feel like, well, they just can't do something that other people can do all because they're just holding themselves back. They've just, they've got some governor that they have put on their own life uh, by their own choosing and they just don't think they can. And then who was it? Was it Henry Ford that said, whether you think you can or you can't either way, you're right. And so I constantly encourage people, and I do it myself, to ponder the ideal outcome. What's the ideal outcome here? Imagine what might be available. Imagine what might be possible. And, you know, quite often, if you if you want to be an evidence-based liver of life, you can follow evidence, and quite frequently you can conclude, well, not only is, is this thing that I may have thought that it wasn't even possible – now when we follow the evidence, we might find, you know, not only is it possible, shoot, it might even be probable based on the evidence. We trip ourselves up so frequently because we just, in too many cases, we don't follow the evidence and we don't base some things on evidence and let that kind of direct us and make wiser and wiser and wiser decisions. And so what is the ideal outcome? For me, the ideal outcome for even starting this podcast was to pass some things on. And for me every day to learn some things, to challenge myself to learn some things, and to push myself to hopefully incorporate more wisdom in my life as time went, fi- went by. Have I always succeeded at that? Of course not. I've had so many foolish days it wasn't even funny. Does that mean the quest for wisdom is null and void? No. It just means that along the way, I've made some really stupid choices. I haven't always chosen to lean toward wisdom. There have been times that I've chosen to lean toward my own foolishness, which in my life is summarized with selfishness. You know, I leaned into what I wanted to do. I didn't lean into doing the best thing I didn't lean into doing the right thing I leaned into doing what I wanted to do and that 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 doesn't that doesn't ever lead to wisdom at least it hasn't for me so ideal outcome what what is your what are your ideal outcomes what do you most what would you most want to have happen and let's try to keep this at a high plateau where we're not just delving into just the most base things that we want for ourselves, but something that is just greater success, greater success than where we are right now. You start thinking about some of this kind of stuff, and I can't help but think about the the power of compounding. Now, when we think about compounding, we typically think about compounding interest, and you've likely heard that scenario of, okay, I'm going to give you a million dollars, or I will give you a penny, and we will double that penny every day for 30 days. Which which are you going to take? And, of course, many people would say, give me the million dollars. Give me the million dollars. Now, the interesting thing, if you look at the table, I'll, I'll find one of these charts, and I'll insert it in the show notes for today's episode. Just go to LeaningTowardWisdom.com and find the episode on doing hard things well. The interesting thing about taking a penny and doubling it every day versus taking a million dollars up front is by the time you get to day 27 you you now have $671,000 and some change. So day 27 comes and now you've got $671,000 and you're like, "Man, I've only got three more days." I I messed up so badly. I should have taken the million bucks. But I didn't take the million bucks and now here here I am and I'm going to I'm going to be so far behind the million dollars that I could have had cuz it's already day 27 and it took me this long just to get to $671,000. But here's the interesting thing. On day 28 it doubles. Right? Because you're doubling every day. And now my six hundred and seventy-one thousand dollars becomes one point three four million dollars. Hip hip hooray. But that all happens in a day. Well now that doubles. And by day twenty-nine, I have two point almost two point seven million dollars. Well now I'm I'm almost three times that million dollars that I could have taken up front. By day thirty? Yeah, by day 30, it's almost $5.4 million. Now it's five, five, five and a half times the million dollars that I could have taken. That's the power of compounding interest. As hard as that is to understand financially, most of us can kind of get our head wrapped around it. I got these banking apps on my phone, and so I've got a CD a certificate of deposit, and it's going to mature here in a few weeks. And that CD was at 6%. So at the time that I got it, pretty decent rate of return. And I, I can look every month, and I can see how much interest that CD is earning on a monthly basis. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of exciting. Uh, now I'm trying to figure out, okay, here in a week or two, what am I now what am I going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm going to need to find another home so that I can make some return. But do we think about the power of investment when it comes to our time? Do we think about it when it comes to the content, the information that we take in, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a book, whether it's a blog post or an online article or, I mean, anything. Do we think about compounding the value and the investment in our relationships? If we're going to do hard things well, maybe we should. Maybe we should. Now, learning to do hard things, well, it's hard. And learning to do hard things well, well, that's, that's very hard, but it's doable. And it's doable if we commit ourselves to it and if we will repeat it enough. So that it becomes ingrained in our behavior. Because doing hard things well is a habit. Just like doing easy things poorly is a habit. And if it's not, then it's inconsistent. You know, anybody can be a a minor league kind of a player. I've I've known a number of minor league hockey players. Guys, And I've used this illustration before, but it's the most powerful one that I have personally been exposed to. And I will ask these guys, you know, did you ever even, did you ever get a shot at the NHL at the major league level? And the majority of these guys got a shot. They got invited to a camp or they had some opportunity to skate. I'm not saying that they got the opportunity to play in a game. At the NHL level, but most of them had some opportunity to try and they just failed. And when I asked them about it, their comment, all of them made the same comment, which has just stuck with me for decades now. You know, I can play at a major league level every now and again. I just can't do it all the time. Translation. I just can't do hard things well enough. The hard things that you have to do to be a major league hockey player or a major league, anything, I just can't do it. Now we're talking about a sport. And so we're talking about some innate skill and some natural talent that may have been missing. So that's one of those cases where, okay, well, just make up your mind, just make up your mind. And okay, well you can't just make up your mind that you're going to, be that level of a player. But when it comes to most of the things that we're all trying to pursue in life, whether it's a a good marriage, whether it's a relationship with God, whether it's a a good career, oh sure. We we can carve that out. We can carve that out. These are not these are not the exclusive domains of only the world class among us because laziness and procrastination, those are easy excuses they are too and that's where everybody lives that's where the masses live that's where average lives so we don't need to be fooled into thinking that well we can be just like everybody else but our life can be better we can be just like everybody else but our marriage can be better we can be just like everybody else but my career can be better my finances can be better my no 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 you reap what you sow. Is berating ourselves is that worthwhile, or is it better for us to just constantly pat ourselves on the back, praise ourselves, really focus on our, you know, our sense of self worth? I'm going to argue that accurate self examination is priceless. Super difficult, but priceless. To see ourselves as we truly are. And then to set about to fix what ails us. To lean hard into our strengths and to lean hard into shoring up the weaknesses um, that would completely derail us. Knowing that we're not going to turn those weaknesses into strengths, but at least we can keep them from holding us back and devote ourselves to just get better, get better. And some days if that Getting better is just an inch at a time, incremental. That's okay. Still in the right direction. Take a step back. It's going to happen. But now, are you? Gonna, how are you going to recover? How are you going to recover? My coaching practice is dominated with a, with a, a two-word question, and that is now what? So we took a step back. Okay, now what? Now what? Now what are you going to do? If we accept whatever excuses the world wants to use and whatever excuses are easy for us, we can do that. It's our choice. I just know that it's absolutely true. I wish I would have said it, but somebody smarter than me did. You'll either make a way or you'll make an excuse. And people that aren't committed to figuring out or learning how to do hard things well find excuses. Find excuses. Now, this isn't about mistake-free living because learning means that we're going to make mistakes, but it means that we're going to make mistakes while we are still attempting to do our best. And we're making mistakes that we know we can recover from, that we're, we're at least calculated enough in the endeavor, in the effort to know if this doesn't work out, I'll fix it. And we make up our mind going in. If I get this wrong, I'm going to fix it. We don't want to make a mistake that's fatal. We don't want a mistake that we can't recover from. Seems like too frequently I run into people, especially when it comes to finances, and quite often it stems from a student loan. And I'll hear this phrase. We'll be paying on that the rest of our lives. That's sad. It's sad. I'm sad for people in those circumstances, and I'm not judging the circumstances. I mean, they are what they are, but to look back at a mistake and know that I'm going to pay for this the rest of my life, I could argue on one hand, well, the good news is you can, you can pay on it the rest of your life. The bad news is you have to, you have to pay on it the rest of your life. We'd like to minimize our mistakes to not be that severe if we can. And that means we got to, we got to work. We got to work hard and working is hard. And you can go talk to plenty of retired people and they'll tell you retirement's hard too. Health is hard. Going to the gym, eating properly, taking care of yourself. That's hard. Okay. Sickness. That's hard. That's real hard. Being in a great relationship, that's hard. takes a lot of work. Being lonely. I would think being lonely is really hard. So whatever you choose, whatever end of the spectrum you choose, whether it's that positive thing, being in a great relationship, or the negative thing, being colossally lonely, they're both hard. And you know the meme. You've seen this meme before. I have it over at my website, over at randycantrell.com on the home page. There's a there's a kind of a handwritten thing, you know, marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your hard. And it, it's completely correct. I mean, whatever we choose to name on a positive end of the spectrum, on a negative end of the spectrum, choose it because it's all hard. And every day we get to decide which hard we're going to pursue. But there's a major difference. There's a major difference in the positive and the negatives on this spectrum, and that is to do hard things well. It, it seems to me that it requires more upfront effort. You got to make the investment upfront. And by doing that, we are able to forego kind of this tougher, this tougher price tag down the line. For instance, to invest in health and wellness – a lot of work, a lot of commitment. Is it worth it? I think it is. I'm not saying I always do it, but it's worth it because it's, it's way better than being sick. It's hard work, but being laid up in bed, that's hard work too. And so, you know, I kind of, I kind of keep thinking about all this stuff and I keep, kind of pushing the ball forward, the idea forward. And I started out talking about selfishness and stuff and it it there's another self word and that seems to be at the crux of all this for me, self-discipline, self-discipline. And I think we probably should be clear about the definition of discipline. It's the quality of being able to behave and work in a controlled way that involves obeying some particular rules or standards. Well, I don't know what your rules and standards are. Many of mine, if not most of mine, are formulated because I'm a Christian. Uh, But there's a lot that are really outside the scope of that. For instance, how are you going to make a living? Podcasting? Well, the Bible doesn't have anything to say about podcasting, but I podcast because I choose to. I want to. It's worth the effort to me. Self-discipline, in short, is the ability to control ourselves. And no, it's who wants to do that? Nobody wants to do that, right? We want to. We want to do what we want to do. One of these days, I will learn to turn off the notifications on this phone. Invariably. I can go for long periods of time, and it's on silent. And then I can, the minute I hit record, it's like my phone just magically knows I'm going to get off of silence. So I can ding right in the middle of a, of a podcast. Uh, self-discipline. Self-discipline. Which makes me think about the work that we do. The execution Of the work that we do, because you and I both know if we're going to get good at something, if we're going to do something well, well, we got to find a way to do it well consistently. We want to be a major league player. We don't want to be able to just play at a high level. Sometimes we want to be able to play at a high level all the time. And that means that we've got to learn to execute. We have got to learn to get the outcome that we want by doing the work in the way we need to do it so that we can give ourselves a chance to have that outcome. And so doing these hard things well, well, it drives success because it makes us unique. It puts us in a really, really rare club. And who doesn't want to be part of an exclusive club? There are big competitive edges over everybody else because there are so many people that they're not willing to do the hard thing. They're not willing to do the tough thing. Special forces folks go through rigorous training. For instance, being part of a SEAL team in the U.S. military, that training and the rigor (laughs) that they have to endure you You know that it serves two purposes. it filters out those people that don't have the stuff and aren't willing from those people who do have the stuff and those people who are willing and it's just a it's just a testing ground a proving ground so that at the end of it you get who you need. You get the people that can execute. You get the people who can do that job. You get the people who can do that work. Why? Because they've proven, they've proven day in and day out that they will do it, that they can do it, that they're not going to quit, that they're not going to be defeated by anything physical or mental. That's hard. It's hard. And it's why there's so few of them. This whole idea of doing hard things well. I find it's true in every area of life. We recently brought my one hundred year old father to stay with us for a period of time. My sister had some surgery, and while she's kind of recovering uh, we took uh we took him and made him part of our part of our life in a in a deeper way happy to do that happy to be in a position to do that and as I watch him. And he's in good health, but he is a hundred. And things are hard. Things are hard. The senior years are proof of how hard it is. Um, we're seniors, uh, but we're not as senior as he is. And things are hard. Things are hard. Uh, taking a shower is hard. Putting on your socks is hard. Um, uh, balance is hard. Walking is hard because life, life does that, but he's doing those hard things. He's doing those hard things as well as he can. And that's good enough, right? I mean, it's just good enough. I did a show not long ago about shameless retirement and that shameless retirement was really less about you being ashamed for your life in the face of other people it was more about just just being good with where you are and 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 how you're going to roll and just not being a lemming um, not accepting average but you know don't don't not being selfish but doing what you need to do in your situation for instance and I I think I talked in that episode about me and Rhonda and just the fact that we We've just chosen this debt-free way of life. We're choosing to cash flow life, which means we're working. We're still working. We're going to work because we like to work. And making enough money along with Social Security, and we're fine. To not try to rely on any investments, to just pretend that that CD that I talked about, just pretend that that's, that's not even there. To just pretend that there's this nest egg if you please that we're just not going to touch now that's a choice and to be shameless my my intent basically was to to just be in this state of our life and just be shameless about the way you choose to be assuming that the way you choose to be is not a way of frivolity and looseness and foolishness I just find that in all of human endeavor, restraint is hard. You know what I mean? Take, take retirement. Spending's easy. Retired or not, spending's just easy. Uh, restraint is hard. Keeping your wallet closed is way harder than opening your wallet. And yet here we are in America, and the government is just showing us the way. I'm, I'm not going to get on a political rant because I'm not political, but... It does, it does illustrate our culture. This, here's a good program. We need this program. Look at all the good this program will do. And this program needs billions of dollars. Well, we don't have billions more dollars. Well, but we need the program. So what are we going to do? Well, we're going to go into debt for that program. And now we bring that down to our lives, and we, we tend to behave in similar fashion. Well, look, at, we need that car. Look at the good that car will do. Yeah, but you can't afford that car. doesn't matter. We, you know, we got payments. Debt. We'll just take on more debt. Doing hard things well. That ain't doing hard things well. When you think about all of this, you got anything? Have we sparked any ideas in your head at all? about your ability, your willingness to do some hard things and not just to do the hard things because they're hard, but to do those hard things because they're wise, because they lead to something more deeply, profoundly better, and because they can help us lean way harder into wisdom to do hard things well, what might that require of you? What changes might you need to make so that you can do, you can begin to figure out how to do the hard things well? I can tell you one hard thing I'm trying to figure out, and that's how to get 4.0 totally up and running if you're watching the video you'll see in the background that i ain't there yet i'm working on it i'm working on it it is hard and i will freely tell you that i've been i've spent too much time procrastinating and putting it off because because it's hard and isn't that how it goes I know, I know, I know, it'll be worth it. But there are some days I'm like, I just, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that now. But I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Uh, to update you, directly behind me, there will be a 55 inch flat panel. It's really an old, but it's a really good Mitsubishi. 55 inch television and that will be between the two yellow chairs and then i'll figure out what i'm going to do on this wall behind my head Uh, whether that means ballard street cartoon prince or whatever i don't i'm not sure i haven't figured that out i did get the cable management thing done what i did is i mounted a curtain rod on the wall and these curtains are about forty-two inches long, give or take. Black, two black curtains, and there's about three inches from the curtain rod to the wall. So I got just I got perfect space to just drop the cables behind that curtain. And once the cables are behind the curtain, you won't see anything. Now I did this stra- strategically for a reason. I was used to you know binding the cables you wrap them up nice and neat the problem is the minute you undo one and you need to reroute something we you've got them all bound up and I'm like you know what I'm not going to do that anymore I'm just going to leave them loose but I'm going to hide them I'm going to hide them really well so this was my cable management solution so I got about a I don't know 18 dollar curtain rod I think the curtains these are blackout curtains. I didn't need blackout curtains, but I wanted flat black. And the curtains were like $20. So less than $40. bucks. i got. i am going to have all the cable management I want. I think it's going to be perfect. So I'm kind of excited about that. I'm trying to get things squared away. Get things in shape. Hopefully, by the time I get to mid-March, and I'm not putting this off, it's just I got stuff. I got stuff going on. Told you I got my dad with me here for the next two or three weeks, and so we're taking care of him and moving forward, doing hard things well, figure it out. My name is Randy Cantrell. The website is LeaningTowardWisdom.com. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio 4.0.